Amen, amen. You can have a seat, and whether you are in the room or online, so thankful for you worshiping with us. I hope you're ready to engage with God and receive from him as we hear from his word. And let me also offer my gratitude. Uh, we had uh, a lot of people uh, bring in a lot of, I see that box out there right through those doors, and that box is almost overflowing, uh, which is really good news because we want to meet tangible needs around us. The Hope Chest at Mefford High School provides uh, just some, 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 some great resources for students here at the high school. So thank you for participating and reflecting the love of Christ and the kingdom of God uh, by bringing in some, some goods for uh, students here at the high school. And it is Super Sunday, if you haven't heard, which means the great Tom Brady is going for his seventh Super Bowl. Now, 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 I don't know what you call him, uh, but I, I call him like most everyone call. I, I call him the goat, <laughs> and uh, the goat is going against the baby goat in Patrick Mahomes. I okay, guess so we have we have Brady versus Mahomes. We have Bucks versus Chiefs. It should be a fantastic game. We hope it is at least right. And Patriots next year, please, Lord, we just pray that we would get back to Super Bowl 56 in Jesus' name. But tonight we're going to enjoy Brady and Mahomes. And listen, you and I both know that when it comes to professional sports and specifically professional football, the Super Bowl is the pinnacle of a player's career. They work, they sacrifice, they do everything that they do to get to the Super Bowl and to hopefully win the Super Bowl. I mean, they will make sacrifices. They will even, yes, eat avocado ice cream to get to the Super Bowl. Yes, that's a veiled allusion to the great Tom Brady, the goat, uh, who, who doesn't eat at J.P. Licks. Yes, he makes his own avocado ice cream to stay in such great shape. <laughs> But as we, as we think about them, and I want you to think about this when you turn on, you know, the five or six hour broadcast, whenever you turn it on, um, you know, when you see those players, they are representing people who have made great sacrifices to get to their destination. And we're all trying to get places in life. You may be trying to get to, um, you know, uh, a, a graduation date, or maybe you're trying to get to a degree. Maybe it's a dream job. Maybe it's a wedding date. Maybe it's financial freedom. Maybe for some, it's retirement is on the horizon and you're trying to get there. And, and, and we know that our ambitions can be really, really Good and, and some of those things that we're trying to reach, we will reach and others may remain out of reach. But all of the hard work, all of the sacrifice, they serve a purpose and God works through it all. But the greatest advice I could give you, better said, the greatest appeal I could give you is that the greatest place in life to get is to get to Jesus. Get, like, whatever it is, whatever it costs, get to Jesus. 
when we open Mark chapter 2, we find four friends bringing their one friend so that they could get to Jesus. I want to read the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 2 for us as we hear from God in his word today. Mark writes this. And when he, speaking of Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. If you're taking notes this morning, you may want to jot down that Mark 2, 1 through 3, 6 is one section of the Gospel of Mark that captures five controversial encounters that Jesus has with the religious leaders. We see from verse 1 that it says, after he returned, Pastor John showed us last week how that Jesus had been out on a preaching tour throughout the villages of Galilee, preaching the word of God, because that is why he came. And when he returned home to Capernaum, the people caught word very quickly that he was back at home. And so as soon as they heard that, they started to bring people to Jesus and come to Jesus to hear of his teaching and to be healed of their infirmities. And I I love this because it says that Jesus was preaching the word to them. Now, let's just stop right there because we we know that Jesus was a great teacher and a great preacher, but but where is he preaching? He's, He's preaching at home. 
So many times we falsely assume that preaching is what happens when a guy like me with a title behind my name that has a microphone, they're like, this is preaching. Oh, and it most certainly is preaching. I came to preach today. Don't, don't, don't doubt it for a second, all right? But we can preach in our homes. In fact, no, we should preach in our homes. We can preach anywhere and everywhere. Jesus, whether he was in the synagogue, traveling itinerantly, or in his home, he was preaching God's word. The word of God should be going forth over lunch and over text messages. The word of God should be going forth around water coolers and the bedside of children. Jesus came to preach the good news. He gave us a mission to preach the good news, to share the word of God with people. This teaches us, are you ready? I love this. The word of God is always open for business. Always open. And you get to participate in the business of the kingdom of God. You've been assigned as much as I have. So when it says that Jesus was preaching, he was preaching the word, the logos, the message. This refers to the scriptures of the Old Testament as well as his, his message of fulfillment that he is bringing the kingdom. Therefore, we should repent, turn from our old way of living and turn to a new way of living by following him because his kingdom is at hand. And as Jesus is doing his thing, handling his business, teaching, I, mean, I wish you could have just been there to hear his, his eloquence and, and his insight of the word of God. We find that the people are so enthralled that they don't want to leave, that more and more people are trying to get in, but they can't get in. And as they are trying to get in, overflowing out the door, there are four friends who walk up with another friend on a mat who is paralyzed. And we can only imagine that that these friends are, are, are pleading with the people, hey, we, we have a friend here. We need to get him to Jesus. We've heard of Jesus' power and authority to heal. Let us in. But they don't let them in, which as a sidebar teaches us a, a very sad lesson that sometimes people are the greatest barrier to people getting to Jesus. I mean, we can't help but ask here, are we going to be a mat carrier or a door barrier? But these friends, they would not be deterred. Their resolve was firm. And so they said, hey, you may not let us in the door, but we know that there's a ladder on the side of the house or maybe some steps on this Galilean home by which we can get up on top of the roof. And the roof is lined with tree limbs that's packed with mud and clay and grass. And so if you won't let us through the door, we're going through the roof. That's, that's exactly what happens. I mean, can you imagine? Just, just imagine this morning as we're here at Medford High School in Marsha Karen Theater. If you just started feeling some debris falling on your head. It's like, 
little, 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 like who, did someone throw something at me? Like what, what's going on here? And, and then, and then a, a ray of light breaks through and, and there are people that are physically removing the roof. I mean, can you imagine if Medford High School post-COVID was so packed that people couldn't get a seat in here, but they knew that God was moving in such a powerful way that they got the keys to the light booth and they started lowering people from the light booth. I mean, that's exactly what was going on in Jesus' home. And Jesus sees their faith. And you ask Hannah, what, what? There is plural, so at, at minimum, Jesus sees the faith of the four people carrying the mat, probably all five of their faith, which reminds us that Jesus responds to the faith of people on behalf of others. We see that over and over again throughout the gospel. That should empower your praying, empower your kingdom work. And I don't know about you. I mean, I know about me because I, I know just kind of probably how my wife would be in the, in the spirit fighting back, you know, kind of uh, emotions. If someone started, you know, removing the roof in our home, I don't know about you, but maybe you would catch them on your ring security camera, right? And like call the cops, like, hey, someone's vandalizing my home here. This is not okay. All right. Um, but, but, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus does not chastise them for their impatience. But something tells me that he had a smile from ear to ear. Something tells me that Jesus' heart exploded in those moments as he saw their faith. Look at the faith of these people. Oh, how he must have loved it. He must have laughed and looked at them as the bed is being lowered into the room. The selflessness and compassion of Jesus Christ. He speaks to the man on the bed. And he meets their faith with forgiveness. Son, your sins are forgiven. We don't know if this paralytic was born this way, if he was in some kind of accident or had a disease that rendered him unable to walk. But what we know is this. His friends believed Jesus had the power to heal him. And as he's lowered into the room, Jesus, against all expectation, says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And why is it against all expectation? When, when, when you read the story, when I read the story, when, when the people in the room are hearing this go on and Jesus begins to speak and the people on the roof, they're, they're all assuming that Jesus is going to say what? You are healed. Get up and let's dance. Read Matthew 11. Jesus is the God of the dance. But, but Jesus is super interested in one thing. 
And some of you need to hear this because some of you have been praying prayers for not just weeks, months, or, 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 or maybe even a year, but years. You're trying to get somewhere. You're trying to experience a, a healing, a restoration, a provision. And you keep asking God for, for, for this, this breakthrough. And yet, sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. But one thing I know is that when God says no, or when God says wait, he is always interested in our greatest good. And so Jesus doesn't answer the, the, the man's immediate need, his greatest apparent need, because he knows his greatest real need more than the ability to stand up again and walk again. He knows that this man needs to be restored in his relationship with God. And so he meets his greatest need. He forgives him of his sin. And when Jesus forgives the man of his sin, a bomb was set off in the room. You say, well, Tanner, what are you talking about? Verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? This marks Jesus' first of five confrontations that we'll see running through chapter 3, verse 6. And, and the, the scribes, listen, they, they knew the Bible, Bible better than you and yeah, better than me. I mean, they, they knew it inside and out. And so they knew, like, their theology is spot on. No one has the ability to forgive sin but God. And so they charge Jesus with blasphemy. Blasphemy is, is speaking slanderous words, profaning words or actions against God in his perfect character and holiness. And it was such a great offense that it was punishable by stoning by death. This charge blasphemy, by the way, if we fast forwarded 12 chapters, chapter 14, this is the charge that the religious leaders bring before Pilate saying, this man has committed blasphemy, claiming to be the son of God. That is why we want him crucified. But it's amazing how Jesus responds. Perhaps through a spirit-empowered word of knowledge, or perhaps just by leaning on his divine nature, Jesus knows the questions that they have not verbalized, they have only internalized. And Jesus, once again, doesn't chastise them, but he does question their questioning. Look at, look at what he says. He, he says in verse 8, Why do you question these things in your hearts? I mean, I, lo I love this. This is like, Jesus is so smooth. You just have to be amazed and astonished by the wisdom of Jesus as you read the Gospels. He, he helps them see that, that he is not taking the easier path here. He, he says to them, hey, which is easier? What do you think? To say your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed, and walk. Because on the, on the one hand, 
It's more difficult to say your sins are forgiven because only God can do that. But on the flip side, anyone can say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because that cannot be empirically proved. You know, we like can't put the scientific method on that and, you know, put, put it in the lab. It's like you, you can't prove it. But just, you can say, oh, your sins are forgiven. And maybe they are, maybe they're not. But to say to someone, hey, you've been paralyzed for weeks, months, or years, and uh, you, right now, you can get up and walk out of here. If the man doesn't get up, you look like an impotent fool. And Jesus then says, I love this. He says, but that you may know. He's talking to the scribes. Don't, Don't miss this. That you may know. That the people that were opposing him in this moment, Jesus is not returning opposition with opposition. He actually, you might want to write this down, he's returning opposition with invitation. He's inviting, he wants the scribes to know who he is. That you may know, this is like, I, for so many years, it was probably because of my view of God, I, I read this as like, Jesus is being confronted, so he's like firing back. You, you coming at me, I'm coming at you. No, you coming at me, I'm loving you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to let you in to my kingdom to, so that you will know who I am, that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. That's why I said, son, your sins are forgiven so that you will know I have the authority of God. And then to prove it, Jesus looks at the man laying on the mat. And he says, rise, take up your mat, and and go home. And that's exactly what happens. Danny Aiken says, as a proof of his power to forgive sins, something we cannot see, Jesus healed the paralytic, something Everyone can see. Jesus helps the man walk again, not only because he loved him and he had compassion on him. We see that when he says son, it's the Greek word technon. It means child. He's speaking to him with tenderness and compassion and love and affection. He is broken over our brokenness. God made us to walk, not to lie on a mat for years. And so he speaks it out of compassion, but he also speaks it not just for compassion for the man, but for compassion in everyone in the room, including the scribes, so that they would know that he has the authority to forgive sin. So they would know who he is as the son of man and son of God. And as the paralyzed man gets up and packs up his bed and walks out of there, probably with the greatest strut that Capernaum has seen in a long time. The place erupts in wonder and praise. We've never seen anything like this. What does this story teach us? Get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Whatever it costs, 
I don't know about you, but I was a little tired Friday night because I heard Pastor John's sermon last week out of Mark chapter 1, verse 35, that said Jesus rose up before it, the sun rose, and it inspired me to, to pay the price and to wake up a little bit earlier five days last week. I don't say that to boast. I'm just saying, what kind of price are you willing to pay to get to Jesus? We have to get to Jesus. You have to get to Jesus. If you, you want your life to be everything that you really want it to be, and most certainly that God wants it to be, listen, you have to get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus has the authority to heal and to help you walk again. Get to Jesus because only Jesus has the authority to heal and to help you walk again. I want to briefly give you three encouragements that we see out of this story about what it can look like to get to Jesus. Number one, get to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Get to Jesus for the forgiveness of of your sins. You may remember in Mark chapter 1, uh, we saw Jesus, uh, for lack of better terms, I like this, flexing his divinity with his authority over the spiritual forces of darkness and over physical suffering. He's, he's showing up and he's showing people that, yes, he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. But if you thought he was flexing in chapter 1, now look at what he's doing in chapter 2. He's, he's now forgiving people of their sin, the, the job that is only on God's job description. I mean, the, the scribes are absolutely right. And don't think for a moment that if you weren't in the room and you had read the Bible enough that you wouldn't have been thinking the same thing the scribes were thinking. This, this guy, this, this son of, of Joseph of Nazareth, he is either blaspheming or he is making a clear assertion that he is divine. Why is that? No human being can extend complete forgiveness. No human being has the authority to extend complete forgiveness to another human being. Why, why is that? This is an easy one. Because we all need forgiveness, right? <laughs> like, we, we all need God's forgiveness, so how could we offer complete forgiveness to another human being? But then also, forgiveness is the exclusive right of God, and why is that? It's because even in all of our sins toward one another, and I don't know about you, but I've probably, yes, sinned against people even this week in my thoughts and my actions and my words, intentionally, unintentionally, and every single time, a sin against another person is a sin against God. Why is that? It's because, well, those people were made in the image of God, and God made us to honor them. And if you want another, like, it's because God made us to relate to one another in love, and that is not loving. And so every command we break, every, every sin, every offense is ultimately wrongdoing against a holy God. 
That's why David, King David, uh, in Psalm 51, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed her innocent husband, Uriah, in Psalm 51, he would say this, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I mean, have you ever read that verse and be like, what about, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? And David is saying, my, my sin is so offensive to you, God, because you are so infinitely holy that it is if you're the only person that I've sinned. We need to be forgiven of our idolatry. That means putting anything in the, the rightful place of God. That might be school, that might be a job, that might be money, that might be pleasure, that might be sex, that might be alcohol, that might be uh, just looking good in the sight of other people, okay? That, you fill in the blank thousands and thousands of idols that we carry in our bones. But we need to be forgiven of our idolatry because God made us to worship him. We need to be forgiven of our jealousy toward one another because God made us to love one another and to be content with where he has us in life. We need to be forgiven of our lust because God made us to honor one another and to be faithful as he is faithful to us. We need to be forgiven because one sin is an infinite offense against an infinitely holy God. The, story, the whole story of the Bible, you want to know like Genesis to Revelation, 66 books, 1,089 chapters. Okay, here you go. God wants you. God loves you. He made you for a relationship in the beginning but we thought we knew better than God, so we chose our own good, not his good. And that sin, that's called sin, by the way. Sin separates us from God. That's why we need God to forgive us and to invite us back. But this union that God wants with us and for us, that he made us for in the very beginning, it's like... the. The greatest human picture of union is marriage, right? It's, it's two people, the Bible says, becoming one flesh. That's a mystery. It's crazy. It's... And when we show up as the bride, yes, this is for men and women, we are the bride of Christ. When we show up for the wedding, our wedding dress is loaded up with stains, mud, wine, spaghetti, whatever it might be. I mean, it's just like we are tainted before God. One sin, like, you know what one drop of, like, a splash of one, one splash of wine, one splash of, like, whatever it is, like, that is going to cause a bride to, yes, lose her mind. Because that dress is to be beautiful and spotless and perfect. And that's how God made us to be. He made us to be holy like he is holy, but we're not holy because we have sin in our life and that's why we need our sin to be forgiven. And that's why Jesus came. 
That's why Jesus came. The, the new covenant that Jesus brought, that he promised, Jeremiah 31, 34 says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. It doesn't mean that God is forgetful. God doesn't forget anything. He knows everything. It means that he will not hold our sins against us. Think about all the wrong you've done against God. Oh my goodness, if, if God kept a, a record in remembrance of my wrongs, like he could just load it up on me with like just to a point that's unbearable. But he forgives and he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore. He's he's inviting us back into a, a, a united relationship with him, and he does it by the blood of Jesus Christ. John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us in our place, becoming sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21 because he who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so a promise for every one of us here today, whether you've never been reunited into a real relationship with God, or you've been a Christian for, for years, the promise is for everyone. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I'm just asking you right now that you would open people's eyes and open people's hearts to say, yes, I have wronged you and I want to be right with you. If God is tugging at your heart right now, whether you have yet to believe in Jesus and, and today is your day, or you do believe in Jesus, but you know there are things that you need to get off your chest and just say, God, I know this is wrong. I'm sorry. Help me turn from it and hate it and live for you. Listen, God is faithful and just. He wants to forgive you of all of your sin. Get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Only Jesus can forgive you of your sin. But that's not all. That is not all. Number two, we need to get to Jesus so that we can have a front row. I'm going to sit down right now. I don't know if the camera's going to see me or not, but like a front row seat to see the kingdom of God advance. I love this. I was talking to a pastor friend this week who's been encouraging me and even discipling me. Yes, Pastor Tanner still needs discipleship and mentorship and investment. And so uh, he's taking me through some discipleship material. And, and we were just talking about having a front row seat for what God is doing. But, but did, have you ever been to the Boston Garden? Have you ever been to Fenway Park? Have you ever been one time, thank you, uh, Gillette Stadium? Those tickets are mad expensive. I uh, guess where your boy was sitting because a friend invited me, because another friend gave us tickets. <laughs> we were up in the upper deck. Why is that? Because it is costly to sit on the front row. I don't know about you. I just want to pay the price because, because I want my feet. You know, you know the Celtics fan, uh, get this. Uh, I want my feet on the parquet floor. 
I want to see God's work up close and personal. Because there are neighbors of mine who are hurting. There are coworkers that you have that have no clue of who Jesus Christ is. So many people, I can't tell you how many conversations that we're having, my wife and I, with people who are just absolutely riddled with anxiety. It was bad before COVID. It has gone absolutely bonkers since COVID. I mean, pharmacies must be doing great. Pharmaceutical companies that issue anxiety and depression medications must be doing great. God wants to heal us. Um, We're not against medicine at all. But we are for God healing, God releasing, God bringing freedom, God moving your anxiety from here to here, from here to here, from here to the place of freedom where it's like there's, there's such freedom in your life. That that's what he does here with this paralyzed man. It's an interesting connection that we see. It seems that uh, this man's sin and his ailment, his paralysis, are connected in some way. The text doesn't tell us for sure, but the way that Jesus sets up the story and and he acts in the story, it seems like there is a connection. And some of you may be saying, well, wait, Tanner, I remember John chapter 9 says that when the man was born blind and people said, oh, it's because he's a sinner, that Jesus said, no, it's not because he's a sinner, but it's so that people would see the glory of God. It can't be because of his sin. And that's absolutely true in John 9, but it's not absolutely true Everywhere in the Bible, we see in Job chapter 1 and Luke, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 28 and Psalm 107 and John chapter 5 and Acts chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 11, even about the Lord's Supper, which we're going to partake of later today, that uh, sometimes our sin brings physical consequences. Not always, not always, but sometimes. But, but the heart of Christ is to, to heal our, our, our spirit, the, 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 our souls and, and our spiritual health, but also God, God loves to, to touch our, our, our mental health and our physical health. And whenever he doesn't do it, let's just remember the story here, he does it for our good. He may not be meeting what you feel like is your apparent greatest need because he has a greater purpose for you. I love what I read, Joni Erickson Tata, a lady who was paralyzed for most of her life. She says in her book, uh, I think it's uh, something like uh, the, the God I Love, that's the title. She says, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Wow. The point is this, when you get to Jesus, He was already there for you. He was already there for you. He is, he's always been running after you. 
He wants you to experience his power. He wants to change your life. He wants to change others' lives through you. He wants you to see the astonishing work that he can do in the lives of other people. Can I tell you about the two weeks ago when I asked our church to pray the prayer, astonished me that we had a first-time guest who uh, not only signed up to, to serve with us, but she sent in a prayer request. She said, Pastor Tanner, I've been praying about this thing that I've been praying for for months and it hasn't come through. There's a big delay. And I said, well, I'm going to join you in praying that God will astonish you. And then I get a text message on Friday night that says, God astonished me. He answered that prayer. That's what I'm talking about. A front row seat to the kingdom of God. Isaiah 35, 6 was being fulfilled before their eyes. Then the lame will leap like a deer. It's a picture of total and joyful transformation. In Christ, listen, in Christ, I can say this with complete theological and pastoral confidence. In Christ, your healing is on the way. It's on the way. That's not a health and wealth gospel, by the way, because the qualifier is it may be now, which we'll pray for now, by the way, at Redemption Church. It may be soon, which we'll pray for soon at Redemption Hill. And most certainly, if it's not now or soon, it will be one day because Jesus is going to return and he's going to make everything wrong right. Why is that? How, maybe better, how is that? It's because Jesus is the son of man. He, 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 he says in verse 10, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The son of man is a title that Jesus used for himself 81 times throughout the gospels, 14 times in Mark. It was his favorite title for himself, probably because it was loaded with all the political connotations of son of David, which meant the Messiah, which they thought would be an earthly king. But also, not only because of that, but because Daniel 7 tells about a son of man that would come as the Messiah to usher in God's kingdom. Let me read it for you. It says, in the night, I saw visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, father God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Can we take our minds back to the first century home in Capernaum when Jesus is maybe in there with 10 to 15 to 20 people and he is saying before them and before the scribes, this is being fulfilled in your midst. I am the son of man, the son of God, the promised Messiah. I am bringing God's kingdom. That should get us fired up today. I've been up since 5 a.m. and I've been fired up, so fired up I forgot my Bible at home. So here's, here's it. Here's, let's live so close to Jesus. Let's walk so closely with Jesus that, that we can't help but have a front row seat to what he's doing, not only in our lives, but the lives of the people around us, still touching, still forgiving people of their sin, still saving them and bringing them into his kingdom, still healing people and changing their lives right before our eyes. Number three, I love this, and I got to make this one quick, and it was already planned to be quick in my notes, so you'll be glad. All right, number three, get to Jesus and bring others 
with you in bold faith. Get to Jesus and bring others with you in bold faith. How can we not be inspired by the faith-filled, tenacious, audacious moves that these four friends make to get their friend to Jesus? If you block the door, we're going through the roof. Oh, God, help us as a church in 2021, no matter what the circumstances may be, no matter how long it takes for, yes, quote, unquote, life to get back to normal, whatever that means. Okay, yes, we know what it means. We can't wait to hug people and all that. But, Lord, not even whatever, whatever the timestamp on that is, God, help us to be people that will do whatever it takes to bring other people to Jesus. God is calling us to have faith, to have boldness. 2 Corinthians 3.12, I love what Paul says. He says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I want to call out faith today. Listen, whatever it takes for you to make a difference in the lives of other people, whether they're believers in Christ or especially if they're not yet believers in Christ, the picture, we need to get people to Jesus. We need to help them understand who he is. We need to pray them into the kingdom of God. We need to share with them in natural ways, probably not as animated as I am today, who Jesus is what he has done for them, why he is the only answer, the only solution, their only hope of eternal life, their only hope of truly abundant life right now. Jesus is the answer. We must get people there, and it will take bold faith. I, I get it. Listen, I want an easy path. And sometimes the path is pretty easy, but usually it's not. And so we need a bold faith. Listen to this principle. I want you to write this down. Faith sees the unseen. Can you write that down? If you're at home, please write it down. Faith sees the unseen. I mean, when the, when the men picked up, when the mat carriers, not the door barriers, but the mat, I like that. The, the, the mat carriers, when they picked up the man, they had faith that Jesus could heal their friend. I don't know what picking up the mat looks like, but it may be reaching out to a friend, caring for someone in your life, serving them by, by, by meeting a need. But listen, we're, we're, we're to take people to Jesus in faith. Because faith sees the unseen. But listen to this. Write this. Jesus sees faith. Faith sees the unseen. Jesus sees faith. What, what do I mean by that? Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the, 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 the assurance of things not yet seen. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. That's faith sees the unseen, okay? So by, beside, I know I said that fast. Beside, faith sees the unseen, right? Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's being sure of what we don't see. But Jesus sees faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The implication there is that faith pleases God. Faith makes the heart of God light up. Faith puts a smile on God's faith. 
So let's live with more faith. Let's, let's live in the multiplication middle that says, God, what you're putting into me, I exist to not just receive it, but to give it to other people, to help them get to Jesus. And, and by the way, there's a great principle here in the text. It's even better when you find a few friends that believe God still moves mountains. I just want to surround myself with people that believe that God moves mountains. I can tell you my very best friends in life are friends that believe God still moves mountains because he does. He is the same God, church. He is the same God, whether you recognize it or not, whether you pick up a mat or not, God is not changing. But he's inviting us. He's inviting us to be Mac carriers. He's inviting us to live with bold faith, to get other people to Jesus. And so I'm going to invite Pedro to come out and lead us in a time of response. But I just want to remind you that Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, come to me. Come to me. Come to, he's inviting us. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. I know from experience, there's no greater burden that we can ever have in life than the burden of our sin. The burden of being separated from God. If you've yet to believe your sin has separated you from God, you need God to forgive you. Listen, God is waiting on you to say, God, I recognize my sin has separated us. I recognize that my sin is an infinite offense against your infinite holiness. So I'm asking you to forgive me today. Just cry out to God right now and say, God, would you forgive me of my sin? I put my faith in the life, death, and burials and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to start a relationship with you. God is ready to welcome you into his family today. And I also know from experience that there is nothing worse than having our fellowship, that's another way of saying our friendship with God, disrupted because of personal sin that we're harboring in our heart. And listen, God already sees all your mess. He already sees all your sin. He knows every thought, not just your actions. So could you just, could you just right now just voice that to God? You don't have to say it audibly. You just, in, in, in your own heart, silently say, God, forgive me for that. I, I confess I understand that that was wrong before you, and it didn't give me life. It isn't a reflection of what you made me for. God, change me. Make me know. God, we thank you that you're a forgiving God. You're a loving God. You're a God who wants to bring incredible restoration to our lives. So, Father, we receive today, God. We receive your forgiveness. We receive your mercy and your grace. We receive your love for the first time or for the thousandth time, Lord. We, we receive for the millionth time. It feels like, God, we receive your love again. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.